This is an Emmaus Church podcast. For more information about Emmaus Church, please visit EmmausDenver.com. Good morning, Emmaus. We are so glad to be joining you this morning. We have a couple of announcements for you. So um, our first one is starting next Sunday. uh, We are starting a women's ministry meeting here monthly. So it's going to be the last Sunday of every month here at 4 p.m. on Sundays here at Sterling. Uh, We will be masked, social distanced, um, and can fit uh, all in this space. So this first Sunday will be uh, starting next week. Um, will be just kind of an icebreaker and get to know you, so we hope to see all of you women here. That'd be awesome. And then our next announcement is Monday, February 8th at 7 p.m. is our worship night and our worship team night. So if you are part of the band, the worship team, the tech team, or if you're interested in becoming a part of any of those teams, please feel free to join us here. Again, that's Monday, February 8th at 7 p.m. So today's scripture reading is 1 Corinthians 3 and also 1 Corinthians 4, 1 through 5. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not merely, not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What then is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know what you, that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. 
This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am thereby acquitted, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Lauren, for reading that uh, lengthy (laughs) passage today. Um, Good morning, everyone. For those who are in person and those joining us online, if you don't know me, my name is Ben, um, a liturgy deacon here on staff at Emmaus. And uh, before we get started today, I just want to start in prayer because I'm still kind of getting used to this whole once a month preaching thing. Um, And so I kind of want to just cover this whole thing (laughs) in prayer today. So would you uh, join me as we seek uh, the Spirit's wisdom and counsel this morning? Father, we are... We are grateful to be gathered here as your people this morning, um, in spite of, of all the things um, that would keep us uh, from being here together, uh, whether in person or online, to, to consider you this morning. We are, we are grateful that you have brought us here into this moment. Um, so God, as we look at your word for counsel and for wisdom, I pray that your spirit would convict our hearts, show each of us where it is that we need uh, to submit, God, to your will, to your, to your word over our lives for our good and for your glory. Um, God, would you make that known to us and give us ears that are quick to listen and hearts quick to bow to you as king. So God, we, we lift these things up. Jesus, in your name, amen. Amen. So um, before I dive into the text, I do want to give another little shout out to the worship team night. Um, it's really one of my favorite things that we get to do as a church, so I feel like I'd be remiss in not also promoting it. <laughs> um, but it's a great opportunity. Um, like Lauren said, if you're already serving in areas like uh, in music or in tech or even in arts, um, and it's, or if you're interested in doing that and you're not already, it's a great opportunity um, to connect with other people who are serving in similar ways. And I, I think I also, I, I want to reiterate that Serving at Emmaus is not just um, for the sake of filling a role on Sunday mornings. Like, we can fill spots in planning center on Sunday mornings, but serving is really about belonging to our family. It's about belonging to the family of God. And, and so when we have opportunities like this in the worship night where we get to come together and connect in a different way, um, I think part of that is, is our intention that we want to foster people uh, into belonging to this family. So... Let me be the first to tell you that we don't just want you to feel welcome at Emmaus, we want you to feel like you belong. Um, and so that's why we do things like that. Um, so, okay, shameless plug over. I just felt like I needed to do that because <laughs> I love doing those things so much. Um, yeah, jumping into the text. Um, like Aaron said last week, um, we are kind of jumping into the more practical side of this letter to the Corinthians. And we spent three weeks I'm just kind of setting up this idea uh, of what the letter is about, the idea that, um, that we are to be taught by the Spirit, that to be in Christ is to be set apart from the world around us, and that, is, that means that we live differently in the world around us, that 
that there is something um, in the spirit that informs how we live as Christians that is set apart from the world. And so if you miss those sermons, I would encourage you to go back on our website or in the podcast and listen to those because they really give a lot of context for kind of where we're going up until Easter uh, this year. So yeah, I get to be the one that preaches the first practical thing. And uh, the first practical thing is a very hard practical thing to swallow, <laughs> um, which I feel like happens to me a lot. I don't know if like Aaron's out to get me or what. But um, yeah, so this morning, um, I just, I just want to pause and consider that um, this text might be heavy for some of us. Um, I know it's pretty heavy for me, um, not just because, well, I'm a leader in the church as a deacon, but, but also that I honestly have some baggage um, with this idea of evaluating leadership um, that kind of comes from some experiences I've had in my childhood in the church. Um, and so I just I want to acknowledge that, that we're stepping into a season of, of learning what it is to be taught by the Spirit in some practical ways. Um, and that's going to be uncomfortable <laughs> because the Spirit's job is to convict us um, to, to see where we have placed our comfort and things outside of the gospel. And so, yeah, we're going to do that this morning on the topic of evaluating leaders <laughs> in the church. Um, so, yeah, that's why I started with prayer. Um, so let's just jump right in because Paul is also not really interested in pulling any of his punches. Um, so right away... Let's take a look at verse one. It says, but I, brothers, cannot address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you're not ready for it. And even now you're not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For a while there is jealousy and strife among you. You're not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way. So if you recall, if you, if you were here last week, we talked about, and Paul talked about, this idea of what the difference is between a natural person and a spiritual person. Spiritual people are, are people who live by the Spirit, that the Spirit informs how, how they go about life. Um, if you guys, amen, if you are uh, involved in our DNA groups, which are kind of you know, small groups where um, two to three people uh, kind of dig in together in the Scripture together, um, we have some resources for that. And and also, if you're in a leadership intensive, you're probably familiar with this resource that we use for both of those things called gospel fluency. And what the book is saying is there's this idea that, um, that we can be so informed by the Spirit and live by the Spirit that we're actually fluent in the gospel, that it, it comes natural to us. And, and so what Paul is saying is spiritual people are people that are becoming fluent in the gospel. And what Paul is telling the Corinthians here is that you aren't fluent, being fluent in the gospel in the gospel that I gave to you, that you're being fluent still in the flesh, the desires of the flesh. And I think it's kind of interesting and honestly a little bit of a sick burn <laughs> on Paul here to, with this like milk and solid food bit because um, it strikes me in a very different way now that I'm a father. Um, you know, when, uh, you know, obviously um, Mava was only, my daughter Mava was only drinking milk at first for those first several months of her life. Um, and it's honestly pretty amazing that like babies just live off of drinking milk. Um, and yeah, it's, it's amazing that, that God has given um, our wives and, and mothers like the ability to sustain a human life just off of that. And um, yeah, I feel like my contribution to that was very small. <laughs> so dads out there, please don't complain about changing diapers because yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, milk was good for Mava for a while, but 
she eventually started eating real food. And I remember the first time, I think we gave her like ground beef was like the first meat we gave her. Like she could not shove that in fast enough. And, and it's just like, what? Like she just like knows that beef is good. Like a true American. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's interesting though because as I was studying for this text, um, I was looking over Charles Spurgeon's notes um, on this text and he made this, this point that even though the milk is a diet that sustains you, you should want solid food. You should want to move on to the other things. And what he notes as, you know, he compares the solid food that Paul's talking about to the deep things of God. The gospel is enough to sustain us, but we should want to grow more fluent and deeper in our understanding of it. Um, and what Paul is calling out here in this metaphor to the Corinthians is that they've been thinking too highly of themselves. And the way they measure their status is clearly not by the means of the spirit, it's the flesh. They aren't ready to move on from the simple, simplicity of the gospel that he presented to them because they're still living by the flesh. He's saying they don't evaluate the things of life the way that God does. It's like the Corinthians showed up to the big Texan in Amarillo, uh, ready to chow down on a 72-ounce steak. And Paul's like, wait, you guys can barely hold on a glass of milk. Like, what are you doing? Why do you think that you're evaluating things correctly if you aren't able to even grasp like the simple stuff that I preached to you when I first came? In other words, Paul's saying that he taught them the gospel in a simple way they could understand, and they clearly still aren't getting it. So that's why he's writing to them now. And what he's calling them out for, like it says, is jealousy and strife. This behavior that marks them as people who aren't living in the spirit. And strife that's dividing the church. And verse four shows us why. He says, for when one says, I follow Paul and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? They divided themselves over this opinion that, um, over leaders of who's a better leader or who they, they think should like still be there and like should be learning from. Now I was reading, uh, going over Spurgeon's notes and he called out some of this nonsense of their division in a way that was really impactful for me that I wanted to share with you guys. He said, there is no greater symptom of mere infancy and true religion than the setting up of the names of leaders or the preference or this or that peculiar form of doctrine instead of endeavoring to grasp the whole of truth where everyone can find it. And, and what Spurgeon means by this whole of truth, he's talking about the gospel. And I have to be honest, this is, this is a rough concept for me and a, and a rough passage because it hits home. Because I have personal experience seeing the devastation that division causes the church. Nothing dismantles a church faster than placing our preferences higher than the gospel. And um, watching a congregation vote on whether or not my dad should resign from his post as a pastor at a church that he faithfully served for 11 years, um, coming down to them, um, yeah, honestly bickering over their preferences is higher than the gospel and wanting to find someone who would cater to their preferences better than my dad. That was <laughs> a rough experience for me to see the church live in that way. And I think what Spurgeon is saying here applies to that. And what Paul is saying, that the gospel, the simple gospel, does not need 
our preferences added on top of it. It's sufficient on its own. And I'm willing to bet that Spurgeon recognized the names of leaders and our preferences of this and that pale in comparison to looking through the fog of those things and grasping onto the gospel wherever we can find it. The symptoms of infancy in Corinth are really the result of relying on those plausible things. Things familiar to them because the world uses different means to evaluate itself and leaders in the church they're still clinging to without relying on the gospel. And it's no wonder that our efforts to rely on plausible things end up dividing the church. But Paul is showing us there's a better way. There's a spiritual way to evaluate leaders and to evaluate what is, what is powerful, what is wor- this work of the spirit over the plausible things that we desire in our churches. So what we're going to be asking today is how do we evaluate leaders the way that God does? How do we do that rightly? How do we become fluent in how we examine each other and how we hold up each other in the gospel? So Paul's going to start breaking that down in verse 5. He says, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. So Paul's like, hold up. You guys are arguing over who is better at doing this or that. You're actually totally missing the point. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Saying that the church in Corinth is arguing arguing over these methods and the plausibility of this or that, of these different teachers, and they're missing the point. Paul and Apollos or anyone else who has taught them and led them are just servants through whom they believed as the Lord assigned. They're fighting over people that God gave them for them, for their good. And he says, look, he says, I planted Apollos water, but God gave the growth. Paul's shaking his head like, yeah, Apollos and I are different, but we're here for different roles to accomplish different things. But like, at the end of the day, Apollo and Apollos are not the point. God is. They aren't the ones providing the growth. Arguing over who's this and who's that is not growing the church. He considers, Paul considers himself and Apollos and Cephas, who is uh, Peter, as nothing compared to God. And you know, look what he says in verse eight. He says, he who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Paul's saying the church in Corinth is dividing themselves over things that are kind of irrelevant. (laughs) He who plants and he who waters are one. Yeah, Paul and Apollos came to do different things, but they're working towards the same goal, building the church on the foundation of the gospel. Our leaders have different roles and fulfill different purposes depending on the season, but ultimately God has given the church leaders to fulfill his purposes, to see his kingdom come. He sees, Paul sees himself and these other people planting churches simply as laborers are attending what belongs to God, not to them. If Paul's an apostle sees himself that way, how much more should we be aware <laughs> of what our leaders are for? And I, I feel like that's kind of a yeah, yeah, yeah moment at first. Like, yeah, like, 
we get that like God is more important than Paul. Um, but I don't think we honestly live like that a lot of times in evaluating our leaders. And I think, honestly, more often than not, I found myself concerned with the wrong things. Or at least like the Corinthians stopping short of the point. And I was processing this with Aaron um, as I was kind of going over this sermon. And I think we were talking about, and I think that I was needing to ask myself in preparing for this was, do I evaluate like God evaluates? Are my priorities in line with his? Hmm. Most of the time, the answer is no. And I think we all have a hard time looking at ourselves and our leaders appropriately in comparison to God. We just struggle with that because we want the plausible things. We want the tangible things because they're here in front of us. And I find myself convicted because I recognize how easy it is to do that, to rely on natural discernment to judge the work of leaders, but also myself. And the Corinthians are fighting because they think there's a a particular leader or teaching that's gonna provide the growth for them. They want the tangible things to be their success, not for them to be able to say that it was God. (laughs) We didn't do it, it was God. You know, I I think about that and I I wanna be clear that that we are not a church. Emmaus does not exist right now because of anything that I or the other leaders have done or anything that you have done. We can plant and we can water and we can tend to the fields, but ultimately Emmaus is here right now. Emmaus will be here tomorrow or not based on what God wills for his kingdom. We need to start seeing it that way. God makes our work fruitful, not us. So I want to talk about where we're going is, is what is the shared work that they were assigned to the things that Paul and Apollos are working towards? What are the things that matter to God, that God is wanting to provide the growth in? So let's look at verse 10. It says, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So Paul's making note here first and foremost that his labor was to build for them a foundation of Jesus Christ, that the church should be founded on the truths of the gospel. Every decision, everything they do should be building upon that. Jealousy and strife are not consistent (laughs) with the gospel. Remember earlier in 1 Corinthians, he said he resolved to teach Christ and him crucified. That's it. That was his first and foremost concern with what he was bringing to them. Paul's saying everything that the leaders or any leader who comes to you should be building upon is the foundation of the gospel. Acting in ways consistent to the world around them is not building on the gospel. It's building upon the flesh, not the spirit. And I think it's easy for us to get caught up in what Spurgeon says is names of leaders and preferences of this or that. But when we get caught up in those natural things, I don't know why we're surprised that the reward of our labor takes away from the gospel. 
that it causes us division to slip further and further away from that foundation that was intended for us for our good. And look what he says about building upon that foundation in verse 12. It says, now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. And I read that and... Um, yeah, is it like not kind of terrifying <laughs> to think about? Like, consider this with me. It is very possible that the things that you and I value in our church, in our leaders, in ourselves, things that we see as gold and silver could be proven to be hay and straw. The things that we feel like we're building on the foundation of Christ are gonna be revealed by fire and wiped away. And not that there still isn't grace in that, like Paul's saying, but do you want the fruit and the labor of your life to be considered nothing to God? Everything our leaders in the church build is gonna be tested. They really hit home for me. <laughs> and, I, and I have to ask myself this, do I see what I and our other leaders are building or the church is building or what I'm building for myself on the foundation of the gospel with this kind of seriousness? Because Paul's telling them that if their infantile actions of jealousy and strife and division destroy the church, they try to build on a foundation other than Christ, that God will destroy them. That's really serious. <laughs> and probably the weightiest thing I've had to say up here. God takes the sacredness of his dwelling place seriously. We should be careful not to desecrate it. Nothing will stop God from growing his church the way that he sees fit. And when his refining fire comes on that day, it's gonna prove the wages are labor. some weighty stuff. <laughs> so Paul, he, he wants to get to the root of their infancy because he doesn't want to see this happen. He wants, he wants to see the church succeed. He, when in 2 Corinthians, his next letter to this church, he describes his feelings in writing the first letter as weighing heavy on his heart and his writing filled with tears. <laughs> He's writing this because he cares about the church and he wants to see them glorify Christ in a way consistent with the gospel that he gave to them. So he's gonna tell them what the root of their division is. In verse 18, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool, that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. 
For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Peter or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours and you are Christ and Christ is God's. Let no one deceive themselves. We deceive ourselves when we think that our wisdom is comparable to God's. That somehow we have something figured out that he doesn't, that our wisdom is sufficient. That's why Paul is saying don't boast in men. If you're boasting in what you can accomplish, if you can accomplish something and you want your leaders to accomplish something that at the end of the day they can say that they did without having to rely on God, it's the wrong thing. Focus is in the wrong place. Paul is saying if you catch yourself relying on your own judgment, you should humble yourself. Make yourself look like a fool <laughs> in comparison. See yourself rightly before God. If you're, he's, what he's telling them is that they're causing division by their jealousy and strife because they aren't evaluating themselves or their leaders rightly, that they're wanting to depend on things that they can say, look what we did. Look what, look what Paul did. That's the guy we should follow. Look at what Apollos did. That's what we should be doing. He's the one that's going to give the church success. They're relying on those things instead of what God actually assigned for the leaders to provide them, which is the gospel. The church isn't messy because we haven't figured out perfect systems or like the perfect way to organize teams or the perfect way to present the gospel in an entertaining way to one in preaching. The church is messy because we deceive ourselves into thinking that the plausible things that we value, that our methods or even the right people could actually produce the growth. We don't trust God. We don't need God. <laughs> That's our problem. And when Paul says, for all things are yours, he's reinforcing what he said earlier. Leaders are given to the church for the good of the church, but for God's glory. He's making the same point he makes this letter to the church in Romans, in Romans 8. He says, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Your leaders, where you reside, what time <laughs> you're residing in, you know, a lot of us don't want to be residing in 2020 or 2021. Whether you live or die, whatever you're facing, past, present, or future, all things are given to you according to how God sees fit to work for your good, your sanctification, and ultimately his glory, not ours. To help you see Jesus is more beautiful, that his gospel would be more attractive to you than the things of the flesh. To evaluate leaders, to evaluate yourself in a natural way, diminishes the good that God has for you, for his church. There isn't anything in there that says that what I believe to be good for me <laughs> or for the church at any given time other than what God has given to us to rely on in his word 
is what God sees as gold and silver. Nothing that says that what I would love, like a perfect audio and visual system, or a, yeah, an amazing live stream comparable to whatever you know, church is doing that right. Um, I don't know if any of us are at this point. You know, like we're to have an amazing full band um, every week with, you know, comparable to whatever church you like. There's, I mean, there's so many amazing things, honestly, that we could do, that we could accomplish, that I would love to accomplish <laughs> as a church. And I love having conversations about growing and changing and, and doing new things. And a lot of those things are good. And even a lot of those things are not really spelled out in Scripture. And we can look really great looking from the outside in. And we can place those expectations on our leaders, that those are the things that are valuable and that's what we want to see from them. But what Paul is trying to establish with the Corinthians and what we should be paying attention to is that we have a serious problem in evaluation. And evaluating those things is higher than the things that God is pleased to grow his church in. Maybe the things that will be revealed as gold and silver are the things that we couldn't ever take credit for. Maybe God cares more about our leader's sanctification than our definition of success. Maybe he cares more about them making disciples than systems. <laughs> I need to hear that. I need to, to believe that. According to Paul, if we're going to be spiritual people who evaluate our leaders rightly, who are building on the foundation of Christ, he shows us in chapter 4 how we should regard them if we're going to be spiritual people. He says, this is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself, for I'm not aware of anything against myself. But I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and disclose the purposes of the heart. And each one will receive his commendation from God. Paul wasn't getting at that we shouldn't evaluate our leaders at all. Actually, I mean, looking at the end of chapter two, Paul's saying that spiritual people should judge all things. They should discern things with the mind of Christ. Paul actually wants them to evaluate him when it's necessary because he's saying he doesn't see himself as better. As someone who's a firsthand witness to Jesus Christ, he doesn't see himself better than the people that he serves. Not only that, but he's honest. He's, he knows that he can't evaluate himself correctly. None of us see the things that are wrong with us all the time. And... I feel like I can speak for the other leaders in the church when I say that we also want to be evaluated. <laughs> we're not infallible. We need to hear where we're not in step with the gospel. 
Because the issue with the Corinthians is that they weren't evaluating Paul or Paulus or anyone else based on their faithfulness to the gospel. That wasn't even in their mind, I don't think. They were judging them by their methods and different roles God had given them and looking to them for the success of the church. They were evaluating them as natural people, not spiritual ones. So Paul's saying whether or not the church is actually gonna be able to evaluate him correctly, he's way more concerned with how God sees him, with God's evaluation, because only God knows our hearts. God knows what even we don't know about ourselves. Amen. Amen. When I began to realize that, when that began to sink in, that hit me like a ton of bricks. Because I think the Spirit revealed to me how much more, how much more I'm honestly concerned with the tangible things, with the plausible things. How much more time I spend on thinking about this or that peculiar thing that is going to bring growth to Emmaus, bring growth in my own life. And Proverbs 21.2 says, every man's way appears right in his own eyes, but the Lord ponders the heart. If I spend more time worrying about the quality of our live stream, if I spend more time um, figuring out how to tune drums, <laughs> if I, I spend more time in, in all these tangible things, you know, like writing a perfect email, there, there are so many things that I want to be good at, that I want to do well, that, that I, I truly believe serves the church well. But how, I've, I've found myself, how much more am I concerned with those things than where my heart is at before I come lead worship or preach? Am I, am I pondering my fruitfulness? Am I pondering my faithfulness to the gospel? There are things I see as right that aren't foundation of Christ. And I read Paul's words in his warning, and I can't help feel convicted that I value mine and others' fruitfulness more than their faithfulness to the gospel. I want a foundation that makes sense, that I can take credit for that Mace can take credit for in Denver. That gives me a lot of pause. It should give us all a lot of pause. Because what Paul's saying here is the faithfulness in the word to the, to the word and the gospel. That's the most Christ-like thing a leader could do. And isn't the point to look more like Jesus? to grow more into his image. That we, we say we want to see Denver transformed by the gospel, by the beauty of it, because Jesus is more beautiful than anything we cling to. If Denver is being transformed by the gospel, that means the city would be more and more filled with people that love him and want to look like him. Yes, Jesus, who spent his ministry teaching the counter-cultural gospel, knowing that leaders of the day plotted to kill him. Cling to that message, knowing that they would do that. 
his stewardship of the word led him to the cross. Paul said, we are Christ's and he is God's. Jesus was so submissive to God that even in being equal with God, he didn't count it as something to be grasped at, but he lowered himself, that he came to us through the incarnation to be with us to the point where he died for us. When the people that he came to serve were, were looking towards to plausible things, wanted Jesus himself to fulfill these plausible things that they thought would accomplish what the Messiah was here to accomplish. Jesus knew that's how they were gonna respond and he still died for us to give us access to his spirit. I need to be evaluated by my faithfulness to Jesus and stewarding the word because I need to be found looking more like him. Because if we aren't growing into looking more like Jesus, it's a good chance that we are not building (laughs) on the foundation of his gospel. And the truth is, honestly, that um, that none of us, not, not me or the other leaders or any church, is gonna perfectly consider themselves as servants of Christ. Or we're not gonna perfectly steward his gospel and his word at all times. I've probably, honestly, already failed at that today somehow. <laughs> um, but God is a perfect judge. He's the only one that can disclose to us our hearts and our need for change. And honestly, for as much as I, I feel like I've, I've failed to see the beauty of his gospel as the most valuable thing in my life, when I give those things up to God, when I, when I actually desire for God to be the one who's providing the growth, there's so much peace in that. If I, even if I fail to be faithful, Jesus is and always will be. Miss, your leaders are not perfect, but Jesus is. There isn't anything that can stop him from working out the things for our good that he intends for his church and for his glory. Let me ask, if, if you had to sacrifice everything, everything that you want to see, everything that you feel is right, if you had to give up everything that you wanted Emmaus to accomplish, your leaders to be, even for yourself, if you laid all those things down, would the work of the beauty of the gospel be enough? Can we be honest with ourselves and ask us that? Is the, is the beauty of the gospel transforming Denver, transforming our world enough for us? Or are there things that we're adding to it? Jesus is sufficient. The simplicity of the gospel, milk is sufficient to sustain us, but we should want solid food. We should want to grow deeper into the gospel, not to grasp at all the other things, but to grasp the gospel wherever we can find it. 
I need that. We need that. So I'm going to close in prayer, and I want us to consider those things. Would we let go of the things that we're clinging to that are keeping us fluent in the flesh, and will we cling to the gospel and let the Spirit be our wisdom? Let's pray. Jesus, we believe, help our unbelief. Jesus, we, I think we all need to confess that there are things that we, that we value, that we, we spend more time running to that aren't your gospel, that don't build on the foundation of what you set through your work, through your life and your death and your resurrection. Jesus, I confess that there are things that are good in nature that I've made higher than your gospel. We need your spirit, Jesus. Would you share your spirit with us in the way that we would have your mind, that we would see our priorities in the same way that God sees them. God, will we be able to look at the leaders of our church to see them rightly, that, that you have given us leaders to help build on the foundation of the gospel. God, if I'm not doing that, if the elders aren't doing that, God, we ask for your forgiveness, we ask for your grace, and we ask for the grace of this community Jesus, when we are building on the foundation of your gospel, would you make it evident? God, would you do things in this community that we could never take credit for? Because we want to work in the powerful ways of your spirit, not the plausible things of the world that will fade. Impress your word upon our hearts that we could be found faithful to it. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen.